Hi everyone, I'm Janet Kihara, the host of this podcast, as well as a recent graduate of law from the University of Nairobi, Parklands Campus. And I am also a feminist. I have a background in gender law, as well as other human rights issues like children in the law and disability law. But I think what's going to be relevant here is gender in the law. And I also have experience with um, all female forums and debates um, and talks with activists um, against gender-based violence and for women empowerment. And let's get into it. Hi, everyone. It's been forever <laughs> since I was last here and publishing an episode but an opportunity came by and it was so exciting because it's something I've wanted to do for ever forever really is just use my platform to voice my opinions um about you know political issues and give a voice also to people who would like to contribute you know um <clears throat> so for those who know the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence passed in December and ideally I understand setting aside days to mark a certain thing for instance December 1st World AIDS Day um, October for breast cancer awareness, it is an opportunity to really focus a lot of resources, a lot of attention um, on one issue, yeah? And it's, it's, it's uh, you cannot talk about one problem for an entire year, obviously. Um, at the same time, you cannot just expect that a problem will only come up in certain circles or for instance if it's about hiv then you know it's only gonna be discussed in hospitals or um, in government forums where they are making policies um you need to have that one day where the entire world marks a certain issue and you know you discuss people people get to participate communities get to participate in their own way whether it's through testing whether it's through awareness and i understand and you know see the basis for days of activism against gender-based violence because it's a problem that's perpetual it's every time everywhere throughout the year um and it's also a problem that needs focusing on. And so 16 days for me, yeah, makes a lot of sense. And a huge part of <clears throat> the active activism in general is creating awareness. And so this podcast is a bit of that, as well as just asking each other, you know, so what do you think about this? And just understanding where we are um we here is largely gonna refer to campus students university students in kenya and if you want to get more specific university of nairobi and parklands because that's where law is studied and 
law is an instrument that has been used to you know curb gender based violence deal with it um also implement policies because of course law making is part of law in general so yeah a lot of the opinions will be quite informed in terms of legal aspects and it only makes sense because we are structured like that as a society and so when we were supposed to discuss this topic with you know some students from parklands i thought let's do it in terms of questions let's let's converse gbv in a nice and fresh way but in a very relatable and important way as well and i wanted us to answer a few questions the first one was what would you do if you lived in a women only utopia that you can't do right now yeah so we're imagining a world where it's just women and they get to be free and not oppressed and not violated based on their gender and i wanted to just hear that i wanted to just imagine if gender based violence wasn't a thing you know what would we do the next question was a personal experience with gender based violence and the thing with personal experiences is that they bring an issue home truly you know it's very easy for instance to talk about say to be like oh my god medicine is so hard to study in uni because you've had stories yeah it's a whole other thing when you know a med student or you are a med student and you truly understand what it takes to complete the entire course yeah so in the same way with gender based violence it's easy to see banners to see um awareness messages and to hear about laws but let's talk about personal experiences let's make it let's humanize the term gender based violence and give it faces because it's perpetrated by people yeah give it faces give it um the faces of victims give it context cultural context give it even geographical background yeah so that was the other question and then of course in this day and age you're not having a discussion if you know you're not having it online at least part of it online yeah so i wanted to understand the relation between gbv and social media you know from the eyes of a student or a young person like how do they feel social media either contributes or fights against gender based violence and this is something that i do have a lot of opinions about seeing that i have left many social media platforms because they are not friendly platforms for women but more on that later and then when we're talking about gender based violence and activism against it you know we want to talk about the perpetrators because it doesn't happen from the near it's done by people it's something that's perpetrated by human beings and we want to talk about paps perpetrators do we deal with them the way we're supposed to deal with them does it help the way we handle it and if we could change things what would we do and then of course victims of gender based violence but i did not want it to look at it as um like okay 
people who are simply on the receiving end of violence. I wanted to look at it as survivors and whole human beings who would need an extra level of care, who would need specialized services to deal with um, crimes committed against them. And that's what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the spaces we hold for survivors of violence and how these survivors feel about the spaces because it's about them entirely. It's not about, for instance, a donor feeling like they contributed money to probably uh, a center for rescuing, you know, vic- um, survivors of gender-based violence like FGM. We don't want to look at, you know, an NGO that is busy, you know, sending out flyers and trying to create social media awareness, you want to ask that person who that thing happened to, the kind of care they're receiving, is it enough? You know, is it what they would want? Is it something that helps them? Do they even receive any care? Do they feel like it's safe enough to report incidences of violence? That's what I want us to ask ourselves. And lastly, 16 days of activism, is it enough? And I feel like it's really good that we're doing this or we are publishing this podcast a few weeks after the 16 days of activism have passed because after that there's been a lot of other, you know, days the world is marking, yeah? There's been, of course, the Christmas holidays. There's been New Year's. There's been other political issues, other global problems or disasters. There's been the pandemic and a new variant. And so in the midst of all the awareness that was supposedly created during 16 days of activism, now it's a forgotten issue, quote-unquote. Yeah? So was it enough? Was what was done enough? Or will this be another year of making noise and then next year noise and then another year? So was it enough and did it lead to permanent and visible change? So I'm going to let our two guests answer these questions in their own perspective and, you know, from their own experiences and to just have the opportunity to voice their opinions and literally offer a voice for campus students and college students and their experiences with gender-based violence and the 16 days of activism. Yeah, I hope you're as excited to hear as I am. Hi. My name is Valentine Mushiri. I am a fourth year student at the University of Nairobi School of Law. I am also a student champion in the UNESCO Our Rights, Our Lives, Our Future project and a proud feminist. I have always been passionate about gender equality and I'd say this is because I've been lucky to grow up around people who've made it their life's work. I am extremely honored to be a part of this conversation and to contribute to the 16 days campaign in whatever capacity I can. I have come across this question multiple times and the answers always make me a little sad 
because it's usually simple things like taking walks at night or using shortcuts and I guess mine is just as sad because it has to do with my dressing. If I lived in a women-only utopia, I think I'd feel free to wear whatever I want. When I dress, I have to consider the chance that I might have to walk in town, I might have to board a matatu, or walk past a group of construction workers. So in a women-only utopia, that is probably something I would not have to consider when picking my outfit every morning. The first time I experienced some sort of harassment, I was about eight or nine. Sadly, I, yeah, I was barely old enough to understand what had happened, but I remember it so vividly because of how my mom reacted. We were in a shop in my hometown, Odaya. It's a small rural town, so hopefully you can imagine the kind of shop I'm talking about. We were standing at the counter waiting our turn when a man came up behind me and he spanked me. I remember feeling strange. Now I know that I felt violated, but at the time, I was too young to understand the feeling or identify it. So my mom is one of the calmest human beings on the planet, or one of the calmest human beings I knew. So when, so it was her reaction that helped me figure out that something was wrong because she grabbed the man and I remember her threatening to call the police. A bunch of people came to run interference. You know, it's a small town, so it's everyone's business. And eventually the man apologized and everyone was telling her to let it go. Everyone seemed shocked uh, by her reaction because they didn't think it was that big a deal, which is quite telling about the kind of society we live in today and we lived in back then. Social media is a double-edged sword. In all aspects of life and even in the fight against gender-based violence, uh, it has contributed positively to the fight because it has given a wider platform for activists and allies to mobilize, raise awareness and coordinate campaigns such as this one. But at the same time, it has, given, it has also given a platform to bullies and abusers who now have the added advantage of anonymity. It's really easy to be a bully online because you can hide behind the safety of your screen. You can be a keyboard warrior. You can type whatever. So the internet, just like the world at large, is definitely not a safe place for women. From revenge porn to victim blaming and even cyber stalking, we have seen multiple instances where social media platforms are used um, to harm women. When it comes to holding perpetrators of gender-based violence accountable, our problem as a country has never been in coming up with laws. It has always been in implementing them. Because like currently we have the Sexual Offences Act, which I would say adequately covers most sexual offences. But our justice system is so ineffective that more often than not, um, offenders manage to go free. We have challenges in reporting, in the collection of evidence, the presentation of cases in courts, 
we also have corruption to deal with so all in all we have many many challenges but laws is not one of them so i'd say in an ideal world we would have better implementation of existing laws and also um the sentences would definitely be longer because i know that the for example for rape the minimum sentence is 10 years in prison which is not nearly long enough if you ask me uh, the sentence for rape should be rape should be a capital offense just like murder you know uh people convicted with rape should be sentenced to life imprisonment because yeah so we also have challenges with access to information especially in terms of procedure and reporting and all that like most people don't even know there's a helpline or there are dedicated centers in police stations to report gender-based violence even when it comes to things like collection of evidence like the thing where victims or survivors of rape are not supposed to shower until they have been examined things like that i think there should be in an ideal world um this information should be accessible to everyone everywhere uh when it comes to a permanent solution i am significantly less hopeful because oh i think one of the biggest hindrances to justice in sgbv cases is societal perception which is something that's quite quite hard to change the other day i was part of a seminar and uh, we were given a bunch of hypothetical situations and one of them was whether a girl wearing a mini skirt is quote unquote asking for it and the instructions were to stand if we think the statement is false and to remain seated seated remain seated yes if we think the statement is true and i was surprised to see about half of the participants remain seated because they agree that a girl who's wearing a mini skirt is asking for it hey, i i have to admit i got the shock of my life and the most shocking part for me was that the people seated were both male and female so we are living in a society where sexual harassment is normalized it is minimized it is justified and it is blamed on the victim so for us to reach a permanent solution we would need an extreme shift in perspective more awareness campaigns Oof, there is so much so much ground to cover um but yeah i think initiatives and campaigns like this are a good step so hopefully someday there will be a permanent solution i just don't think we're anywhere close when it comes to creating safe spaces for women who've survived sgbv i think again we don't have a shortage of ideas what we have is a shortage of is a lack of implementation is what i'd say i have read about the polycare initiative which was recently launched by the national police service and it sounds like a step in the right direction the idea is to create a one-stop center where victims can access all the stakeholders or all the services they need uh, this is like the police forensic investigators psychologists and healthcare providers there could even be a representative from the office of the dpp a magistrate a legal expert all that and this means that a survivor or the person reporting won't have to repeat their story every time they approach a different service provider 
and i think this is a wonderful idea and it's uh you know as i said a step in the right direction but given our track record with service delivery as a country i am not too optimistic but i really hope that this initiative is implemented and followed up on i also think uh, more effort should be made to make the public aware of this this initiative so that in turn the public is able to hold these people accountable to ensure that this is not just another empty promise that they can get away with. If I'm being honest, I don't think much change will be achieved. In fact, I am underwhelmed by the involvement of different stakeholders in this campaign. There are so many organizations that champion the rights of women or claim to champion the rights of women in Kenya. We even have an entire ministry for gender affairs. And the most I have seen within the 16 days, at least from local organizations, is statements, just a statement being released in support of the campaign, a few webinars here and there, and maybe a social media campaign. And I think that's not nearly enough for organizations that have the capacity to do more. So, yeah, I'd like to see the government and non-governmental organizations doing more to fight, yeah, to fight gender-based violence. I'd also like to see more involvement from individual citizens, more people demanding for action to be taken, and more people engaging in conversations like this one. So, uh -huh. Another thing that has surprised me within these 16 days is the lack of data on gender-based violence. Uh, GBV is something that the UN has recognized as a global pandemic. You know, they called it the shadow pandemic. And I noticed that the most recent survey we are using in Kenya is from 2014. I'm pretty sure the statistics have changed drastically since then. And I'd like to see more research going into gender-based violence and its effects. And I'd like to see um, more efforts being made to offer updated statistics so that even as we call people to action, even as we invite people to take part in this campaign, we know exactly what we're fighting. Yeah, um, my name is Annette Kiptum, a student of law at the University of Nairobi Parklands campus. Um, I, I have experiences <laughs> concerning gender issues, yes, and um, I am a feminist. I believe in matters, equality of the boy and equality of the girl, and more importantly, creating spaces and avenues through which that equality and equity can also be achieved. Um, if I were to live in a women on the utopia, what are some of the things that I would do that I can't do in my current life? Uh, this question is is a bit what tricky to answer in the sense that I am grateful that my parents, my mom, and the women around me have made it possible for myself to do what I want to do as a woman without feeling like I can't do something because I'm a girl. 
um, some of the things that I would probably, in a woman-only utopia, I wouldn't have to, f- I'm not a mother, but sometimes I look at women who are mothers and sometimes how they feel like they are the primary and sole caregivers to their children in the sense that some sections of their lives have to go on hold longer than they should be or have to stop altogether because probably their husband would not is not willing to take care of that child as much as he is supposed to, you know, to help this woman. So I think if we were living in a women-only utopia, those are some of the things that I would want to be taken care of better. Yeah. Um... What one of the first time I experienced some sort of harassment on account of being a woman? How old were you? I think this goes back to being in primary class five, six, thereabout, and um, when you when you walk past a group of boys and men, and sometimes how they cut call you and make you feel this type of way, this not very safe type of way. Uh, there was that. Um, sometimes when you're it's still the same sort of catcalling things. I am lucky I haven't had experiences with um men denying me, like, say, a job opportunity because they want me to offer some sexual favors in order to get that opportunity. I'm lucky I haven't done that. But nonetheless, I know of women who have gone through experiences like that who've not been able to secure jobs and do things they want to do because a certain man somewhere wants them to give sexual favors so that they can get this job opportunity or um women who've been forced to to do something sexual because in exchange for money sometimes by their relatives as well you know i have had of those experiences but my earliest encounters are definitely with the boys, the catcalling and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think social media has shaped the fight against GBV. Definitely now there's more, more awareness. There's more talk about it. There are more avenues to rally people to be conscious about GBV and identify signs of someone who's facing GBV and avenues through which you can help them. I think social media has been a great help. It's been a great tool. Do I think the internet is a safe place for women? Um, Generally, I think the internet can be safe and unsafe simultaneously for everyone, you know? Like, used in the right way and with the right experiences, the internet is a very safe place, which also can be a very unsafe place, matters um, cyberbullying and stuff like that. But matters GBV, I think the internet is becoming safer for women. Women can easily access there's um Twitter handles, Instagram pages and people who work with GBV counseling centers. Yeah, so I think the internet is sort of a safe space for women. Um in an ideal world, I think regardless of who you are and stuff like that people, perpetrators of gender-based violence, I think there should be a standard minimum sentence where every perpetrator of GBV 
goes through before we can come to the point of do we want to talk about it? Because, you know, sometimes women and men alike face gender-based violence, but because of our culture and how we want to talk about things and how we want to reconcile and how the notion of marriage is not easy, you know, you have to tolerate one another. And sometimes this tolerating one another is GBV that you're tolerating and you might end up dead, you know. I think it should be every perpetrator has to have a minimum sentence where they go to jail. And then if you want to get back together, if you guys want to talk about it, if you want to rebuild that relationship, that can happen after. But the more, I think the more the perpetrators know that they can get away with it, the more they keep doing these things to their victims. Um, would, do I think it would be a permanent solution to the scourge? Um, permanent, not really. I think the permanent solution has to come from our mindsets, and it, it's going to take a while because it has to be a shift in how we think as men, as women, how we raise our children, how we talk to our brothers and our sisters. It, it's a constant conversation that needs our mindsets to shift. For a man to understand that I can talk to this woman and I can express my anger to this woman in conversation without beating her up. You know, it needs, that is the only permanent solution. Once our mindsets shift, to understand that violence is not really an option, it's not a choice. How do we create safe spaces for women who have survived GBV? I think part of the safe spaces are the gender-based violence counseling centers. I know now most most hospitals have those centers, but um, the, um, a concern has also been pointed out uh, where most of these centers are located in the cities, but women in the villages, they're still undergoing GBV. And it's not as um, openly spoken about as to when you compare it to Nairobi and cities, it's there's a problem in the villages. The cultures that support GBV, the cultures, the societal notions that tell women it's okay to stay in a marriage where you're beaten once a while because that's marriage and you tolerate one another, unavumilia. Um, we need to do more for those women in the villages to educate our societies our at grassroots levels on GBV, on how to end it, on understanding that a conversation is more fruitful and more beneficial to the society as opposed to choosing violence. So we need to create more of those counseling centers in the villages. We need to do more of almost like civic education in the villages. We need to address these problems in the churches at meetings, at barazas, we need to work with our leaders back in the villages to ensure that the women there don't feel left out, unlike the women in the city who feel like they can access those counseling centers very easily. What change will I think uh, will be achieved during these 16 days of activism? I think it's more awareness on GBV, more, more impact on people to realize how you can help gender-based violence victim where you can take them to um, for those potential victims and everyone is a potential victim but anyway the, the victims to understand that there's an avenue for them to be helped I think that will 
be part of the impact of the 16 days of activism. So yeah, um, I would encourage anyone and everyone who gets to learn about GBV, knows a victim about who's undergoing GBV, knows someone in need of help because of GBV, to direct them to the right places, to be a friend, to listen, and to encourage that person to come out of fear, to not be scared, and to choose to be helped. Hi everyone, it's Janet again, and I have a couple of thoughts about um, the questions and how we've answered them and some of the opinions and, you know, also my thoughts on how we handle GBV, you know, the current landscape and a possible future for activism in this area. So, yeah, they're going to be random, but, but I'm just going to just converse what we've talked about, you know, what the personal experiences that our two guests have shared, and, yeah, and then conclude the episode. So, of course, something that has come out is incarceration of per- perpetrators of gender-based violence, and incarceration, you know, serves its purpose. It removes these people from society, you know, separates them, and, you know, possibly prevents them from doing this again. But at the same time, it's just, it's not a preventive measure. It's uh, something you do after violence has occurred. And in my opinion, we should look at starting with prevention of gender-based violence. And I feel that the best way to prevent gender-based violence is dismantle the systems that allow gender-based violence to happen. So, for instance, in university, where especially female students often get harassed, assaulted, abused by colleagues, lecturers, strangers, when maybe they're out, um, <clears throat> can we have policies that dismantle and defund systems that allow this to happen? For instance, um, rules in universities that talk about dress codes and how, you know, women should be careful when they're walking around at night and women should be careful of what they wear instead of creating an environment that places blame on the victims. Can we create um, or have universities that are focused on making sure that in the first place, women are safe? in universities, whether it means getting rid of lecturers who are guilty of sexual harassment, whether it means um, more surveillance, better reporting systems for people who are possibly trying to, you know, do something to violate someone on campus grounds, um, more security in campus halls because I know this is something that could be greatly improved on, um, things like that. So um, when it comes to something bigger like gender-based violence in domestic relationships, how do you dismantle systems that promote this? How do you make sure that the police, when they hear about a case of, you know, violence against a woman from her husband, 
that they tackle it properly at the police station um when it's maybe just being hit before it escalates to being murdered yeah so it's about defunding systems that have allowed gbv to continue and replacing them with systems that have do not have an environment that encourages violence um something else that should be noted is that it's really not about control when it comes to post, uh, like men who are violent against women you find that they are not violent against their co-workers they are not violent against their friends they are not even violent possibly against other women in their lives like their sisters or their moms like they like to say but when it comes to their wives or their partners they are beating them so it's never about control it's simply about power and this is power that should be taken away from these people either by making sure that they are <clears throat> separated from the partners they are abusing or you know they face the consequences of the law and just making sure that we do not place too much burden on victims to be the ones to save themselves from these situations for instance telling um an abused woman to be the one to try and you know access help or try and make sure that the husband is not doing what they're doing because it's not on them to do that we need to expect a lot a lot more from men that we, than we are right now we should expect a higher standard of behaving than we do at the moment and i agree with val's view that social media is a reflection of society and so for for a society that promotes violence against women then i mean obviously social media is going to perpetuate that and my answer to the question on social media would be that largely it has promoted a lot of violence against women because as val said um it has given anonymity to perpetrators and and bold and them to you know become evil on the internet do the things that they already do in person but now without being recognized or easily held accountable because they're doing it on a virtual platform and so i would say that um companies like twitter and you know instagram are not doing enough to protect their users from abusive people because you find that some people really put out violent tweets or posts and they continue to be famous on these applications and to have large supporting supporting groups or a lot of fans who then spread whatever they are tweeting or posting and so a lot more is lacking and needs to be done in that side um of course the societal perception of gbv needs to shift it needs to be a lot less normalized it needs to be a lot less shut down people need to stop acting like it's normal to be cut cold every day when you leave the house it's not it is not and of course that's something that needs to happen um at the same time an extreme shift in you know policy perception you know if for instance hypothetically let's assume um we got a very stern female president who 
took every single accused person or convicted abuser to jail and you know our society was suddenly free of these people i have found that with extreme shifts you find a lot of resistance from the other side um i'd give an example of the obama administration then the trump administration they were like literally two super opposite administrations but i feel that it was because of how how big of a shift the obama administration was that the trump administration was able to come into power by sparking fear of you know no things are changing too rapidly this is not the america you know and i feel that that might be what happens with gbv you know of course men have gotten comfortable with being able to get away with a lot of these things and so a shift that is very radical most likely would prompt resistance but that again that is not something to make us shy away from fighting these things and the thing i learned from again the trump administration is that when you keep you know putting out violent statements um acting like other people's rights don't matter it's easy for people to eventually give up and be like okay this is the status quo um it's never going to change this is what people want and um perpetrators depend on you giving up and on everyone who fights gbv being like ah it's too much we are not getting anywhere we've been fighting for so long they depend on that for it to continue so there it should never be a reason to stop the fact that it might take long or a lot of change should never be a reason not to keep going um but for me the one thing that i've always wondered like is when did common sense become debatable like when val talked about how shocked she was that people would think that it's a girl's fault or that she was asking for it if she wore mini skirt i was that i was very shocked as well that there were people who were seated and for me it's it's like common sense became debatable it's like a principle a truth became something that people can be like um but no uh no if she wait it suggested something like when did common sense become something you can have an opinion on and this is how i'll end you know this podcast is by saying that we need to stop normalizing debating these issues yeah the same applies to lgbtq rights the same thing applies to um the rights of other minorities and marginalized groups it needs to stop looking like a discussion anymore because it's a universal principle that every woman or oh sorry every human is born equal and with inherent dignity and they should be respected and no one should violate your rights or violate your existence and yeah the moment it stops being a debate or a political topic that people you know with <laughs> with time go on twitter to talk about um i feel is the moment we'll start being like okay yeah and it's a moment where even men will be able to call out their friends because they'll be like excuse me no that's not something you do please 
as a man that's not something you do as a man you do not beat a woman yeah so i hope you've enjoyed this podcast of course i'd love to hear your opinions so hit me up on my socials <laughs> lol i do not have a twitter or an instagram but if you know me then you know where to find me and you can also submit a voice note via the anchor app and yeah i'd love to hear what you think about this whole situation um small warning don't dm me to discuss or debate women's rights um yeah otherwise i hope you enjoyed this and i hope this podcast serves a greater purpose in the fight against gender-based violence bye guys